Welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and we're recording on Thursday the 31st of January 2019. Happy New Year, with this the first time um, we've um, read for you this uh, year, so I hope you've all had a good Christmas and um, wish you um, well for the coming year. I'm Elizabeth Hill and this week's team comprises our engineer Duncan Wynne. Round the table with me is Judith Doherty, Ian and Sally Rowe. Audrey Luxton is um, unable to be with us at the moment. She has uh, an issue with her eyesight, sadly. Uh, clerical work has been done by Carol Hartle and Sue Childs. And I think um, Duncan and Judith will do the, the copying. And we have to attribute the thought f- for the day to Keir Aldis and music to Sheila Joins. So, a very warm welcome to any new listeners. We hope you enjoy our offering. You will hear some emergency telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres, obituaries, thought for the week. We'll open the birthday book. Let us know yours if we don't already have it. And the past week's headlines, sunrise and sunset times. They will be followed by stories of interest from the past week. The service is quite free to users. It is a registered charity. If, however, anyone does wish to make a donation, it may be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, WYLDS, here in Worcester, WR51DA. And we do thank anyone who has recently um, sent in a donation. It is very welcome and it does help us maintain the equipment. We do like to hear from you. If you have any suggestions for improvement, any comments, add a message in your wallet or leave one on the answer phone 01905 767766. But please be aware we aren't here every day. We're only here really on Thursdays and perhaps Fridays. So leave a message. Be patient. We will get back to you. Right. For those of you who um, are um, aware of site concern at the Bradbury Centre, I have details here of their annual general meeting, which is on Tuesday, the 12th of February at the Bradbury Centre between 4 and 4.45pm. Their telephone number is 01905 723 245. So um, their AGM, 12th of February. I'd uh, also like to remind you to please return your memory sticks and wallets um, as soon as you've finished with them, we do need, you know, we, we, we do have a limited supply of memory sticks and wallets. So you will only receive two weeks worth of recordings. And if neither of these are returned, we won't be sending any more out. 
If you're unwell or you have a problem, please give us a ring 01905 767766 and leave a message. And I think that's all of the um, uh, publicity type things, announcements. So I'm going to ask Ian to uh, read out the emergency and otherwise useful telephone numbers. Thank you. Firstly, the telephone number for us here in Wilds Lane is Worcester 01905 767766. Worcester Live 01905 611427. Morven Theatres 01684 The non-emergency number for the police is 101. Crime Stoppers 0800 treble five treble one. Worcester Hub 01905 765 765. Norbury Theatre 01905 770154. NHS Direct is on treble one. Out of Hours Medical Assistance 0300 12332111. That's just from 6 to 8 pm. The Infirmary Museum 01905 then in the evening, um, Saturday the 2nd, in Huntingdon Hall, is Gordon Giltrap, one of UK's most respected guitarists, um, and he's playing at 7.30. Um, in the Henry Sandon Hall on Saturday the 2nd of February is the Worcester Repertory Company, Vesta, by Chris Yeager. And at the Swan Theatre... On Saturday the 2nd at 7.30 is the ultimate portrait of Matt Munro, one of the greatest performers of his time. So a huge variety, for, even for just one day. Then on Thursday the 7th of February at 7.30 at the Swan Theatre, there is the Circus of Horrors Psycho Asylum, a brand new show. Um, on Friday the 8th of February... At the Huntingdon Hall, Rob D's Romantic Valentine Rock and Roll Special, a special show which the ever-popular Rob D calls his three R's, Romance, Rock and Roll, a Valentine Special. Then on Friday the 8th and Friday the 9th at 7.30 at the Swan Theatre is Respect to Aretha, Aretha, lifelong Aretha Franklin fan and powerhouse vocalist Letitia George stars in this heartfelt and uplifting dedication to the Queen of Soul. And then on Saturday the 9th of February at Henry Sandon Hall is Trunk Tales, a lady, a trunk and a collection of stories from around the globe. Children from four years old 
so it's an interactive storytelling show to unleash the imagination of children from four years old and will start at 11 o'clock and run for just 55 minutes. Um, then in the evening of Saturday the 9th at Huntingdon Hall is Nearly Dan, The Spirit and Sound of Steely Dan. That's at 7.30. And then in Henry Sandon Hall on the 13th of February, Anonymous is a woman... A th- Sorry, Anonymous is a Woman Theatre Company presents It Is Now. Imagine every wedding, every wedding you've ever been to, the frantic mother of the bride, the one relative who's had a little too much to drink. Mm-hmm. Only this time it's the day of the 1966 World Cup and everyone has their ear to the radio. Um, so that's... And then Friday the 15th of February... We have uh, 7.30 at Huntington Hall, Cara Dillon, um, an Irish singer. Um, then at, on Friday the 15th at the Swan Theatre at 7.30, The Best of Queen, performed by the Bohemians. And then on Thursday the 14th of February, the Vamos Theatre um, at the Swan Theatre produce A Brave Face. Uh, And that's not recommended for anybody under the age of 12. Then Saturday the 16th of February at 7.30 at Huntingdon Hall is Fleetwood Back, the world's first and some say finest Fleetwood Mac tribute band. So that's Worcester. So then moving on to Malvern. Um, On February the 2nd, the Metropolitan Opera live screening at the uh, cinema is at 5.55, and that's Carmen. Then the theatre production from Tuesday the 5th to Saturday the 9th of February is Rain Man, inspired by the heartwarming Oscar-winning movie. Then the week Tuesday the 12th to Saturday the 16th of February in the theatre is the Amer- Green Day's American Idiot. Welcome to a new kind of tension. Then on Wednesday the 6th of February, there is a talk, Leo Holding, the Spectre Expedition. 1,000 miles, 200 plus kilograms, 60 days, one incredible mountain. The story of Leo Holding's daring dream to reach the summit of the most remote mountain on earth. Then on Tuesday the 12th and Wednesday the 13th at 7.45 there is the Richard Richard Alston Dance Company. And I think that's pretty much it. A huge selection of different things. Thank you, Sally. Well, plenty to keep us all occupied. Um, Right, I now have the... um, Obituaries which have been uh, published in the last week. If you don't want to listen to these, then just fast forward your memory stick. Um, <clears throat> Sandra Jacqueline Cruz passed away peacefully at home January the 16th. Um, there are no funeral details, um, but the funeral director is the Cooperative Funeral Care, 17 Lowsmore, Worcester, WR1. 2RS. <clears throat> Thelma Joyce Lilly passed away on January the 8th. 
A service to celebrate her life will be held at Worcester Crematorium Monday, February the 4th at 1pm. Donations for Alzheimer's Society can be left in the box or sent to AV Band Funeral Directors. Doreen Rouse passed away January 17th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Tuesday, February the 5th at 1.45pm. Flowers by request. Inquiries to EJ Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Harold Davis passed away peacefully January 13th. Funeral service Worcester Crematorium also on Tuesday, February the 5th at 10.45am. Donations for Midland Air Ambulance can be left on the um, in the box uh, or sent to EJ Gummery and Sun details as before. Audrey Davis, knee hands. Uh, passed away suddenly January 17th, age 69. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, February the 6th at 10am. Uh, donations for guide dogs for the blind can be left uh, at the crematorium or sent to EJ Gummery and Son as before. Now, there is another one on the 5th and that is Rory Schofield who passed away on the 14th of January, age 60. Funeral service to be held at St Thomas's Church, Crown East, on Tuesday, February the 5th at 1pm. Donations for NET Patient Foundation can be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Directors, and that's in St John's. Um, it's 30 Bromyard Road, St John's, Worcester, WR2 5BT, telephone Worcester 74 Double eight, double one. Okay, it got out of sync. Um, Douglas John Reeves, ex Worcester City policeman, passed away January thirteenth, age ninety-four. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Wednesday, February the sixth, at eleven thirty a.m. Donations for Midland Air Ambulance may be sent to F.W. Spilsbury Funeral Director. 12 Upper Housel Road, Mulvern, WR14, 1TL. The family would like it to be a celebration of Doug's life and request bright colours be worn. John, known as Inky Miller, passed away January the 12th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Wednesday, February the 6th at 12.15pm. Donations for the British Heart Foundation, can be left at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gumrinson. Details as before. Teresa Joan Savage, nay Skelding, passed away January the 19th, age 64, formerly HSBC bank official. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Thursday, February the 7th at 12.15pm. Donations to Midland Golden Retriever Rescue. Care of Bedwardine Funeral Services. Details as before. Ronald Albert, known as Rod Benger, passed away at Latimer, from, at Latimer Court aid, um, on January the 18th, age 92. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Thursday, February the 7th at 2.30pm. Donations for the British Diabetes Association can be left in the box or sent to co-op 
funeral care. Patricia Ann Morgan, formerly of Beverly, passed away January 18th. Funeral service at St Stephen's Church, Barbourne, Thursday 7th of February at 12 noon. Donations for Alzheimer's Society can be left at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gumrian's son. David Nicholas King passed away January the 10th. Funeral service will be held at Worcester. It doesn't say, I presume the crematorium, it doesn't actually say that though. Friday, February the 8th at 12.15pm. Donations for Worcestershire Headway, care of Andrew Phillips Funeral Services, 5456 Barbourne Road, Worcester, WR11JA. And there is a telephone number to confirm funeral arrangements, Worcester 616-222. Nora Smith, known as Doreen. Formerly of Ronxwood Crescent, retired employee of Hereford and Worcester Fire Brigade. Passed away, actually in Malvern, aged 102, on January the 16th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Tuesday the 12th of February at 11.30am. Donations for the Firefighters Charity. Inquiries to Bedwardine Funeral Services, Worcester 748811. And finally, Donald Pincott passed away January the 20th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Wednesday, February the 13th at 11.30am. Donations, if desired, to vascular dementia, stroke, Parkinson's and kidney research (coughs) may be left on the collection plate or sent to EJ Gumry and Son. Details as before. And so we do send our thoughts and prayers to all of those who have lost loved ones recently. And the thought for the day is the Acts, taken from the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 24 and 25. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And I'm going to ask Judith if she'll kindly open the birthday book and after that read the headlines and the first headline story. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Yes, we have one birthday this week in the book and it's for Joan Johnson on the 4th of uh, February so we all wish you Joan a very happy birthday happy birthday birthday. and uh, on to the headlines Um, first of all U-turn on car parking charges top shop denies ejecting autistic brother City centre ban for feeding gulls. Driver jailed for causing death of cyclist. Have a go hero hurt in burglary. And mystery over mosque money. 
And the sunrise now is at 7.50 a.m. and sunset at 4.54 p.m. And the first headline. Uh, controversial car parking charges at a popular city park look set to be scrapped after the council removed a 100 £1,000 income target as part of next year's budget. Councillor Simon Geraghty, leader of Worcestershire County Council, said there would be no need to introduce parking charges at Worcester Woods Country Park after removing a £100,000 income target from countryside services. This followed a public outcry against the council's initial decision to introduce the parking charges this summer, which were expected to be £1 for one hour, £2 for two, £3 for four, £7 for over four and £60 for an annual pass. Labour County Councillor Richard Udall launched a petition to oppose the charges which more than 4,000 people signed. Councillor Richard Udell said the council's U-turn was a victory for people power. It is evident that when we get the message right and the truth is overwhelming, we can win any argument, he said. I am prepared to work with the administration to find ways to raise revenue without having to pay car parking charges at Worcester Woods. I thank all those who supported my campaign, who signed the petition, wrote letters and protested to their councillors. It worked. Councillor Geraghty also announced that £200,000 would be removed from a proposed cut in the council's library budget and he said library closures would now be less likely. The council, which is currently finalising its consultation into the county's library service, said £800,000 would now have to be saved from the budget rather than £1 million. Controversial cuts to the county's archive and archaeological budget have also been reduced. Plans to cut it by £405,000, more than half of its current budget, have been scrapped, but a £250,000 saving would still have to be made. Councillor Geraghty said the changes have been made because the council listened to the public. The draft budget to be discussed by the Council's Cabinet on January the 31st, also included money for future projects, including £4 million to refurbish the city's Sabrina Bridge and build a bridge in the north of the city from Gellivelt Park to the old Keepax landfill site. The Council would also put aside £2.5 million for improvements to Worcester City Centre and Eversham Town Centre. A Members' Highway Fund, which councillors could use to fund improvements such as roadworks, drainage and pedestrian crossings in their wards, was also revealed. 
A further £5 million would also be put aside to improve the county's railway stations. A city centre clothes shop has denied telling a group of special needs students they weren't allowed to enter the store. Alana Morton has demanded Topshop clarifies its store policy after her brother Rhys Morton, who has autism and ADHD, and other students were allegedly asked not to enter the Cathedral Square store. Accompanied by teachers and in some cases parents, the Heart of Worcestershire College students were tasked with comparing clothing prices at Primark, Marks and Spencer and Topshop on January the 22nd. Alana has accused Topshop of asking the students to leave because the pupils have special needs, but a spokesman for the fashion retailer said this was not the case. The spokesman said the students were simply asked to stop their activity, but at no point during their visit were they asked to leave. In a Facebook post, Alana said, I do not understand how children with learning difficulties, who were only on a trip into town learning everyday traits, could have, been, could have affected them, that is Topshop, in any way. They were in little groups, it was a quiet day, and they all had responsible qualified teachers with them. Reese, 21, was the first to go into Topshop with his mum and a teacher, but was quickly asked to leave, according to Alana, 22. As my brother, mum and teacher got to Topshop, they were asked what they were doing by a store assistant, and they explained... And the teacher also explained there may be a few more special needs children coming, she explained. Alana said the teacher made it clear to the employee that the students would not be entering altogether, but was allegedly told that the pupils being in the store in the circumstances was against its policy. Alana said her mum told her the store assistant was apologetic and was simply following directions from her manager who was not in store at the time, but who she'd spoken to on the phone. However, it was never made clear how they were breaking store policy. They were allegedly told, you can't do it today, but you can go on the website. Alana said her mum was appalled by the incident but they agreed to leave without a fuss. She said, luckily, Reese did not understand the situation, but he and his family have to deal with people judging him all the time. All students were over 18, and some had mums with them. Basically, they didn't want them in the shop. My mother was appalled by the situation, Alana added. Alana said her mum told her Primark and M&S were more than happy for the groups to go inside and complete their research, even helping them out. She said they could have easily done the research online, but that wasn't the point. It was about getting out of the classroom. Heart of Worcestershire did not wish to comment on the matter. A Topshop spokesman said, Topshop does not discriminate on any grounds. Anyone is welcome to visit our stores. Students from Heart of Worcestershire College visited the Topshop store as part of their project. 
They were politely asked to stop their activity and we apologise if any of the students felt unwelcome as a result of this. We would like to clarify that at no point during their visit were they asked to leave the store. Feeding gulls, urinating in the street, aggressively begging and skateboarding could soon get you banned from the city centre if new powers to tackle antisocial behaviour are introduced. Worcester City Council is looking at introducing £70 fines and city centre bans for people found under the influence of drugs and legal highs. Urinating and defecating in public, feeding of certain birds, including gulls, aggressive begging and aggressive or inconsiderate riding of a bike, scooter or skateboard. Councillor James Stanley, Chairman of the Council's Communities Committee, said... We are making this proposal after looking at figures for the main areas of antisocial behaviour that attract complaints. We know some of these issues can be quite sensitive, so this consultation, if it is supported by the committee, will be very much an attempt to gauge the public mood and see if there is a desire for additional powers to be brought in. We know many people do want to see more action taken against antisocial behaviour in the city, However, we are genuinely open-minded on whether introducing a public space protection order, PSPO, is the right way to go. If the committee agrees to launch a consultation, I would urge Worcester residents to take this opportunity to let us know if they support this course of action. The consultation could open the way to the council making a PSPO for the city centre under the Anti-Social Behaviour, Crime and Policing Act 2014. The move comes after discussions between the city council, police and other partners, including Worcester Business Improvement District, BID, Fortis Living and local charities, including Warwickshire and West Mercia Community Rehabilitation Company, St Paul's Hostel and Mag's Day Centre. The council said sensitive matters such as aggressive begging, action would only be taken as a last resort when all other attempts to engage with the perpetrator have, broken, have proven unsuccessful. No action would be taken against genuine rough sleepers with the powers reserved for use against individuals who are known to be part of an organised begging scheme. The City Council said it works with partner agencies to provide a programme of support to rough sleepers. If approved, an eight-week consultation would be launched on February 15th. The report will be discussed by the Council's Communities Committee on February 4th. A careless driver has been jailed for causing the death of a cyclist after crashing into him on a dual carriageway, a loss which has torn his family apart. Mark Treasure was jailed for causing death by careless driving after he ploughed into father Anthony Ryder from behind on the A449 at Claines near Worcester, taking his eyes off the road for up to 12 seconds before the crash. The 55-year-old of Green Lane Beverley was jailed for four months at Worcester Crown Court following the crash on December the 22nd, 2017. Paramedics arrived at the scene but nothing could be done to save Mr Ryder. 
Treasure had denied the offence at a hearing at the city's magistrate's court in November last year, but changed his plea to guilty at the first hearing at Crown Court earlier this month. Family, including the cyclist's widow, wept as they were permitted to sit in the courtroom as Treasure was jailed, looking directly at him as he was taken down to begin his four-month prison sentence. Mr Ryder, struck from behind by Treasure's Fiat Doblo, died at the scene, despite a witness in another car saying the 46-year-old had been lit up like a Christmas tree and was wearing a high-visibility jacket. Witnesses following behind Treasure in an Audi said he did not signal, break or make any attempt to avoid the cyclist in the near-side carriageway. Raj Punia, prosecuting, said it had been damp, foggy and dark on the morning of the crash, but that the cyclist was wearing a bright fluorescent tabard and had working lights, some of which increased in intensity when they detected vehicles approaching. In interview, Treasure said it was simply an accident and he had not seen the real red light of the cyclist at any time and that it was not the best visibility. His widow Diane Walton Ryder, who has multiple sclerosis, said in a victim personal statement that she had been married to her husband for 22 years and they had three children, describing him as my absolute rock and said he did everything for me. She said as a result of his death, she has been forced to sell her home and is to move to a bungalow. Mr Ryder worked as a manufacturing manager in Southco in Worcester and was due to become a general manager this year. Mrs Walton Ryder described how her husband's mother, Sue, died eight weeks after her son, telling the court she just gave up. The person responsible for his death has torn my family apart. The prosecutor argued that it was an aggravating feature that Treasure had taken his eyes off the road for 11 to 12 seconds, the court heard. Nick Berry, defending, said, Nothing I would say seeks to diminish the everlasting effect of their loss, but instead my submissions are designed to assist the court with this sentencing exercise. He described how Treasure's attention was diverted for the purpose of observing a vehicle behind him as it moved into the fast lane, looking in his wing mirror two or three times before looking back to see Mr Ryder. What followed was the collision and the tragic death of Mr Ryder, said Mr Berry. Mr Berry spoke of Treasure's shame at not being able to assist police further during the interview. Treasure has since written a letter to the family which Mr Berry did not read out in the court to the court, arguing that its contents were private. He said Treasure had told him, I have a family of my own and if I could take back and undo it I would. The pain I caused is awful. Mr Berry said Treasure estimated he was driving at about 50 miles per hour and that he had not consumed alcohol or drugs 
and had not been using a mobile phone or a sat-nav at the time of the crash. The defendant was, before that fateful day, a careful and considerate driver, said Mr Berry, who argued that Treasure's remorse was acute. He cited the remarks of a probation officer who said in her report that in her 40 years in the job she had rarely seen the level of remorse Treasure had shown. Mr Berry also argued that Treasure was a man of not only previous good character but positive good character. Judge Jim Tyndall told Treasure that the people behind him in the Audi could see the cyclist and that he also should have been able to see him. He said, I can only infer from the fact you did not see him that you were not paying any real or proper attention to the road for a significant period of time. This was not in my judgment a case of momentary inattention, he said of Mr Ryder. He was the linchpin of his family and was taken away from them. The judge sentenced Treasure to four months in prison, of which he can expect to serve half in custody and half on licence. He described this as an appropriate punishment given the chasm that has left, been left in Mr Ryder's family by his death. He banned him from driving for three years and two months so that the disqualification after his release from prison will run for exactly three years. He did not order the treasure complete an extended driving retest, which is discretionary in cases of careless driving. The family said that after the hearing, we are pleased justice has been done and are happy that he has received a custodial sentence, albeit for a short time. We hope this will increase awareness of vulnerable road users like cyclists in future. Speaking after Mr Ryder's death, his widow praised him as an incredibly clever and creative man. A have-a-go hero suffered serious head injuries when he confronted burglars at his city home. The man in his 60s attempted to stop the thieves, stealing his moped from his home in Cornmeadow Lane, Plains. He tried to prevent them driving away in a van with his moped inside, but they refused to stop, and as a result he fell from the vehicle, suffering serious head and chest injuries. The victim has been in hospital since the incident at around 2am on Sunday the 27th. Neighbours described him as a lovely man and said they were worried about burglaries in the area as police set up patrols. He was awoken in the night after hearing noise outside his property and went outside, finding the suspects removing a Honda moped from his property and putting it into a white Ford Transit van. As the men tried to leave in the van, he attempted to stop them, but they continued to drive off, taking the victim, who was holding on to the vehicle, with them before he fell off. Police said his injuries are not believed to be life-threatening. The Honda Express moped was bright orange with white mudguards and a wired basket at the front. 
The last four digits of the registration number are 981W. Cornmeadow Lane residents said they were shocked by what had happened. One resident said, It is just awful. I hope they catch them. Other residents said they felt there had been an increase in crime in the area in recent years, with many taking precautions, including having extra security fitted at their homes. Sheila Farthing wrote on social media, Burglary is becoming so common now in our area, this one sounds especially nasty. Do hope the gentleman recovers well. Stu Green added, It's become a bit of a crime hotspot in that area. Inspector David Troth from West Mercia Police said, This was a particularly nasty incident which has left the victim seriously injured and shaken and a number of of inquiries are now going on to trace those responsible. Following this incident, we have increased patrols in the area and want to reassure the local community that we take reports of this nature very seriously. As with all house burglaries, we will be using a breadth of resources to identify the offenders, and I would appeal to anyone with any information that could help us to identify them and to bring them to justice to please get in touch. Inspector Troth added that he would advise anyone thinking of being a have-a-go hero to not put themselves in danger. We advise the public not to confront individuals who are involved in criminal behaviour as this could lead you or another coming to harm, he said. Criminals don't want to get caught and will take significant risks to prevent them from being apprehended. In circumstances such as these, we ask that rather than confronting the offenders, you obtain as much detail as possible of the offenders and any offending vehicles, and call 999 as soon as you can. West Mercia Police has identified burglary of homes as one of their policing priorities, and South Worcestershire Police have an extensive plan in place for 2019, which includes working with the public and our partner agencies to tackle it. Anyone with any information on the incident, or who may have seen anything suspicious in the area at the time, is asked to call police on 101, quoting incident number double two forward slash eight two six three forward slash nineteen or call Crime Stoppers anonymously on O eight hundred treble five treble one. Questions are being asked about what happened to over two thousand pounds of taxpayers' money given to a Muslim charity in Worcester. Councillor Aladitta, Worcester's Deputy Mayor, gave the Jalalabad Association £1,100 for an educational day trip and another £1,200 for computer equipment in 2012. The money came from Mr Ditter's divisional fund, a £10,000 pot of cash that can be spent on local causes from when he was a county councillor. But now worshippers of the Jalalabad Association Mosque in Vincent Road have cast doubt over whether the money was spent as intended. A worshipper at the mosque said, I've never heard of a day trip taking place. Where's the booking of the coach or the minibus? 
Which company did they use? Or which train did they go on? Where would the mosque take a day trip to? Western Supermare? He also questioned where the computers were, claiming he had not seen any inside the mosque. Another worshipper told the Worcester News that they had not heard about a day trip taking place. The Charity Commission recently launched an investigation into the Jalalabad Association after it failed to submit accounts for 2012 and from 2014 to 2017. The Worcester News previously reported that there had been a heated argument about the charity's finances between members of the mosque and its chairman, Muhadur Rahman, on Friday, January the 18th. A member of Worcester's Bangladeshi community, which the mosque caters for, also questioned how Councillor Ditter's donations to the mosque were spent. He said, I don't think the trial has happened. It's a small Bangladeshi community in Worcester. Everyone knows each other. If anything like a day trip happened, then word would have gone through the community. He, meaning Councillor Ditter, would know if there had been a trip. He uses the mosque. If the trip didn't happen, why didn't it happen? Councillor Ditter could have requested the money back. The man said he found out that the deputy mayor had handed taxpayers' money over to the mosque after inspecting council records. He checked the records of divisional fund payments because he was suspicious about the close relationship between City Councillor Ditter and the mosque's chairman. However, Councillor Ditter, the former mayor of Worcester, said, I'm going to assume the day trip has taken place. The officers would have looked at the paperwork. I didn't chase it up. I'll have to check up on it. I don't know if the computer equipment was installed. I can't remember that far back. I'll have to ask. As far as I'm concerned, this was seven years ago. Why didn't people come forward earlier? I think they are trying to make mischief out of something that's not there. Councillor Ditter said he thinks the educational trip was supposed to be a day out at the safari park and that the computer equipment comprised PC for chil- PCs for children. Addressing the claim about his friendship with the chairman, he said, He is my friend. All the committee members are my friends. I live right in the heart of the community. I'm approachable. I use all the mosques. It doesn't mean I know what they do day to day. Councillor Ditter added that he assumed the charity would receive the cash for the trip after the day out happened. Worcestershire County Council said its councillors are responsible for ensuring their divisional funds are used for the intended purpose. The council and not councillors pay allocations from divisional funds directly to the recipient organisations. Mr Rahman was unavailable for comment. If anyone has concerns about payments, they can contact Simon Mullinson, the Head of Legal and Democratic Services at the County Council, on smullinson at worcestershire.gov.uk. Head coach Rory Duncan is confident composed centre Ryan Mills is on England selectors' radar after playing an influential role in successive comeback wins 
for Worcester Warriors. Mills has yet to represent his country at senior level, but Duncan is hopeful his time will come. The 26-year-old slotted home a drop goal in the dying seconds to secure his side a 20-18 victory at Ospreys before stepping up to the plate against Stade Francais last Saturday. With no time on the clock and the game locked at 31-31, Mills produced what Duncan described as an unbelievable touch finder to give Warriors a line-out inside Stars 22. Mills then provided the assist for Dean Hammond to cross for the match-winning try in the European Challenge Cup clash. What I like about Ryan is his composure, Duncan said. He knows how to handle situations and can read a game well. We had a couple of kicks that didn't quite hit the touchline during the course of the game, so for him to close that one out and then be in a key position to finish off the pass for the try just shows what level of player he is. He is extremely composed and obviously an experienced player. It was great to have him controlling a game like that when the clock had gone to 80 minutes. Mills has been a consistent performer over the past four and a half years for Warriors, making 86 appearances. Four of his seven tries for the club have also come this season, but Mills has not been involved in an England camp since being called up at the end of the 2016-17 campaign. Former Warriors boss Gary Gold described Mills as a genius on Twitter when responding to growing calls for international recognition earlier this term. I must be honest, I have not had a conversation about England with Ryan, Duncan said, but I certainly rate him as a player. He is fantastic. There is obviously a lot of competition in that position, but I am pretty sure that Eddie Jones, England head coach, and the other guys are aware of him. Maybe it's just timing. I don't know what their plans are, but I just think he is a quality player and I am very happy to have him in our setup. Mills also demonstrated his ability to pull the strings from fly half, having filled in for the rested Duncan Weir in recent weeks. I had not seen him play at 10 a lot, but I had <clears throat> been told that he could cover that position, Duncan added. His strengths are organising and communicating in the line and having him there at 10 has proven to work out quite well for us. Warriors' European Challenge Cup quarter-final against Harlequins will take place at Six Ways on Saturday, March the 30th at 8.15pm and tickets will go on sale on Monday, February the 4th with pricing to be confirmed in due course. Uh, and now for some football. Tom Marshall's curling cross shot consigned a youthful Worcester City line-up to a cruel 2-1 defeat at Ilkeston Town. 
There were close shaves aplenty in a goalless first half with Jordan Harrison breaking the deadlock on 58 minutes, scrambling in following a delightful move involving Josh Willis and Liam Lockett. Ilkeston fought back and levelled with 14 minutes to play when Elliot Reeves held up, took a touch around the retreating Matt Burley and fired low across Sam Gilder. The Robins upped the ante from there and City's task was made harder by the 90th minute dismissal of Josh Willis for fouling Reeves when cleaned through. Town's pressure paid off when Marshall received back his short corner and swirled inside the far post from the left wing in the fourth minute of added time. Sports reporter Andy Mitchell takes us through the talking points. The game could have been decided by half-time. And in fairness to the hosts, a telling advantage might have gone either way. In an open game, City had three glorious openings created through some incisive play, all involving Lockett. His heavy touch gifted keeper Liam Mitchell, uh, his heavy touch gifted keeper Liam Mitchell, the advantage in a one-to-one before seeing his nemesis get a final touch on a stroked finish from eight yards. Ethan Moran's parried shot then hit Harrison as he chased it in and wobbled wide. That said, having escaped being three down, Ilkeston hit the crossbar and missed a sitter from six yards. A 2-0 scoreline at the interval would have given the match a very different feel going into the second half. The Three Amigos The trio supporting Harrison in attack came through the youth ranks together and the understanding they had was a menace for the hosts. Not only that, all three showed maturity in the heat of battle and picked out passes like they were playing for fun. The defeat was a bitter pill to swallow, but even the heaviest of hearts had to be warmed by the potential showcased by Lockett, Willis and Moran. A quick mention, too, for star performer Grant Horton. The Cheltenham Town teenager was immense at the back and judged the bulk of his calls to perfection. There was one instance where he stepped out a little late and took a booking. That still prevented danger, though. The rookie is keeping out more experienced personnel and that call is being justified week after week. A tactical red... With Ilkeston having all of the momentum and one of the league's top scorers racing towards goal, Willis had no option but to foul Reeves in the 90th minute. It would have been a masterstroke had City held on to the point. City deserved more, no question, but there are lessons to learn from this setback. Ilkeston did not play well, but mixed it up and played on the edge. The Robins got exposed by sheer quality at times, but when going forward, speed of thought was their greatest weapon. It was not the first time Tom Marshall had tried that corner routine, and whether or not the referee should have stopped for the substitution in the build-up to the opening goal, that also showcased Town's willingness to get on with things and force a breakthrough. That belligerence probably plays a big part in where they are something that will no doubt come with experience for John Snape's crop of emerging homegrown talents. And finally, whatever happened in the build-up to the crowd skirmish, 
the incident would have not boiled over had everyone else stayed out of it. Huge credit to Worcester City Chairman Steve Good for stepping in and defusing the situation. Ilkerson stewards deserve credit for acting swiftly as well. And there have been claims of provocation, but any city plan fan involved should remember the club is trying desperately to find a permanent home in Worcester. Problems like these hardly helps that case. A moving service to commemorate Holocaust Memorial Day took place at Worcester's Guildhall this weekend. Last weekend, sorry. The event, which was held on Saturday, remembered victims of the Holocaust and Nazi persecution and aimed to raise awareness of the conditions that led to division in communities. Mayor of Worcester, Jabar Riaz, attended and told the Worcester News afterwards, the hall was packed and we heard very moving speeches. Events in our history define us and shape the way we evolve as mankind and as nations and communities. <coughs> they are there as lessons for us all to learn from and grow from. They are real tragic events that happened in our own history. They are a reminder of the cruel nature of man when hatred seeps in and causes havoc. These events are important to remind us of where we come from and to prevent them from happening again. Katie Henshaw, aged 18, who attended the event, added, The amount of people that turned up shows they want to be learning about history and take on board that it has happened. The event has shown we can do things to prevent it from happening again in the future. Students from Worcester Secondary Schools performed readings, read out poems and told a story from a Holocaust survivor and a violinist from King's School played the theme from the film Schindler's List. Holocaust Memorial Day is marked each year and a different theme is used to highlight the importance of the effect of past genocides on society today. This year's theme, Torn from Home, encourages the community to reflect on how the loss of a safe place to call home is part of the trauma faced by anyone experiencing genocide. Holocaust Memorial Day reflected on what happens when individuals, families and communities are driven out of their homes and the continuing difficulties survivors face as they try to find and build new homes when the genocide is over. This year's event marked the 25th anniversary of the genocide in Rwanda, which began in April 1994, and the 40th anniversary of the end of the genocide in Cambodia in 1979. A survivor of the Rwanda genocide spoke about his personal history and the trauma he has been living with ever since. And this is a call for <clears throat> all you Quidditch players. The search is on for new players to form a Quidditch team. Players at the Worcester Wraiths Quidditch Club are looking for teammates. The team made its first appearance at the University of Worcester's Refreshers Fair on Tuesday, January 22nd, where players were recruiting for their first practice set to take place on Saturday, February the 2nd. Quidditch is a rugby-dodge-ball hybrid and is a growing sport worldwide. There are more than 50 teams across the UK and teams compete in national and international tournaments, the largest of which is the Quidditch World Cup held in Italy last year. Worcester has played host to Quidditch events in the past and Worcestershire-based Genevieve Tyrrell, events director at Quidditch UK, 
has taken up the challenge of bringing Quidditch back to Worcester in the form of a new team. Quidditch is a fully mixed gender, full contact sport and open to anyone aged 17 and over who wants to get involved. The game started after it was loosely based on the sport played by characters in the popular Harry Potter series and has grown hugely in popularity. Worcester Wraith's first practice will take place at no charge at 12pm on the 2nd of February at Waverley Street Park, also known as Cherry Orchard National Reserve. Uh, nature reserve sorry players will meet first at cathedral square for anyone unsure of the location <clears throat> biryani curry and lentil soup has been handed out to homeless people in worcester thanks to the generosity of local restaurateurs mazadul hassan shakil and his uncle Saifu islam who run Balti Mahal in Astrid Road, gave out the free food outside the Guild Hall as part of a new local love project. It was the first batch of food given out to the city's rough sleepers by the pair, who have promised to hand out free meals every Thursday. Mr Shakil said, The food distribution was brilliant. We enjoyed helping the community and we look forward to being more involved. It was very heartwarming to be able to feed the homeless people. To hear their stories was heartbreaking. It makes us want to help them more. We want to unite together as a community and create local love. Volunteers taking part in the Local Love Project will be holding a banner which says Feeding the Homeless and displays the Balti Mahal logo. The restaurant is offering rough sleepers the chance to visit Balti Mahal where they will be provided with hot food in a takeaway container. Mr Shakil added, The homeless can come to visit us and we will provide them with takeaway hot food which will warm them up, especially in this cold weather. Homeless people can visit us at Balti Mahal once a week. We will do whatever we can to support our community and we stand together with homeless people. Mr Shakils added, We are trying to make contacts with organisations to feed the residents of Worcester on a regular basis. If homeless people are in need of support or are in hunger, our doors are open every night. If a charity organisation wants any support or would like us to arrange events like curry nights, we would love to support them. It is a long journey, but local love has much in store for the local community. Homeless people are our people. It is our social and humanitarian duty to support them. We feel proud to be part of this amazing cause and support our local community. It is a great feeling to make an individual smile who is vulnerable and less fortunate. We feel the Guildhall building is a suitable place to distribute the food and it is situated in the centre of the city. We are trying to inform the homeless through social media and word of mouth. The project will run at the Guildhall from 6pm to 7pm every Thursday. A crash which, which left a pedestrian with life-threatening injuries is the latest in a horrible series of incidents 
on a notorious stretch of road. Ambulance crews crews rushed a male patient to Queen Elizabeth Hospital, Birmingham, on January the 28th, following the crash on the A449 between Claines Lane and Ombersley Park Junctions at 5.55am. A West Midlands Ambulance Service spokeswoman said the pedestrian had sustained serious injuries, with staff working quickly to administer advanced trauma care. It is the latest in a series of collisions on that stretch of road and came the day after Mark Treasure was jailed for causing the death of cyclist Anthony Ryder at Claines in December 2017, also on the A449. In November last year, a male motorcyclist also died after a crash on the A449 at the junction with Castle Road. Councillor Stuart Denley-Maxwell, who represents Claines Ward on the City Council, said there had been some horrible crashes on the A road. People just drive too fast up there, he said. He added, though not knowing the full details of Monday's incident, Claines Lane is too narrow, and while walking along there, he said he had almost been struck by vehicles regularly. It's a lethal road, and as councillors, we've been trying to sort something out for some time, to bring in some kind of restrictions, he added. Referring to Monday's incident, the ambulance spokeswoman went on to say, when ambulance staff arrived on the scene, they found a pedestrian, a man, who had sustained serious injuries following a collision with a vehicle. The team of ambulance staff worked quickly to administer advanced trauma care to the man before he was taken by ambulance on blue lights and sirens to Queen Elizabeth Hospital, Birmingham, for further emergency care. Two ambulances and an MERIT trauma doctor attended the scene. West Mercia Police described the man as having suffered life-threatening injuries but said no other injuries had been reported. The A449 was closed between the two junctions but was fully reopened just before 12 noon. Some commentators on Facebook claimed the crash involved a lorry, but this has not been confirmed. Witnesses or anyone with any information are asked to contact police on 101, quoting incident 57S of January the 29th. A businessman reopening the Riverside Cafe in Worcester has laid out his plans for the venture. Alex Dorr, who also runs Little Al's Kitchen, a mobile catering company, announced on Facebook that he had won the contract to take over the now-vacant cafe after Worcester City Council put the site out to tender. Mr Dorr, age 40, said, We applied for the tender back in October and we officially get the keys in a couple of weeks. We're going to reopen it as Cafe Viaduct. We want to really refresh that area of the waterfront and do things a bit differently. We're planning to have a barista coffee machine with all our staff being barista trained as well as serving all homemade food with vegan options too. We want to serve quality food and are very keen on fair trade products too. It won't be a restaurant but there will be a good selection on offer.
We get the keys in a couple of weeks, then there will be another couple of weeks refurbishment before we open properly. For the first couple of weeks we will be opening on weekends only so we can address any teething problems which may arise. Mr Dawe said he was hoping the refurbishment of the cafe would revitalise the area, being more attractive for tourists and bringing in more money to the city. The cafe closed down in October last year after the previous owner, Chris Wise, decided not to renew the lease. Mr Wise had run the cafe for eight years alongside his partner Mandy Thomas and said he decided it was the right time to step away. The House of Fraser department store in Worcester is set to remain open. A source has told the Worcester News the store, located in Crowngate Shopping Centre, will remain open despite the store previously announcing its closure for the end of January. Some 149 people work there. Shoppers in the shopping centre said they were delighted at the news. Annette Smith said, I'm delighted it's staying open. I'm in House of Fraser most days, so obviously very happy it's staying open. It's my favourite shop. Gillian McCabe, aged 54, said, House of Fraser was a good shop because of the size of its clothes. She said, I'm really pleased it's not closing down. It, it is a lovely store and very well presented. I go in there often and can always pick up a good bargain in the sales. I often find it difficult to get clothes to fit me, but House of Fraser offers petite clothes for my size. Sports Direct Chief Executive Mike Ashley bought House of Fraser out of administration in August 2018 for £90 million. <clears throat> Mr Ashley has turned some House of Fraser stores into Sports Direct outlets, while others have remained under the House of Fraser brand or been rebranded under the Flannels name. The 169-year-old department chain announced last June that the Worcester branch was to close by the end of this month. Up to 6,000 jobs were under threat nationally, with 31 of its 59 stores set to shut across the UK and Ireland as part of a rescue plan. At the time, Mr Ashley pledged to save around 47 of the retailer's 59 outlets. He had done deals to save at least 20 stores, protecting about 3,500 jobs. The planned closures came as part of a company voluntary arrangement, a controversial insolvency procedure among struggling retailers. A spokesman from House of Fraser told the Worcester News it was unable to comment as it is the responsibility of Sports Direct, who were also unavailable for comment. Hospital patients have been transferred from Worcester to Warwick due to bed shortages. Campaigners warned that moving patients from Worcestershire Royal Hospital to Warwick Hospital could be, make them feel isolated. However, Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust said the measure was intended to make sure patients remain safe during a time of exceptionally high demands. Anne Mace, a member of the Independent Community and Health Concern Party, which campaigned against cuts at Kidderminster Hospital, said, If patients are taken to Warwick, how are their visitors, particularly elderly spouses, going to get there? 
These are elderly, vulnerable patients and they need to be kept within their community, with their friends and relatives. It can be an extremely lonely experience if you are in a hospital bed without any visitors. It's not the way to treat patients. Ms Mace said she would like to know how much it is costing Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust to use the ward in Kidderminster. She added that the Trust could create extra beds within the county by reopening wards at Kidderminster Hospital. A spokesman for Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust said a small number of patients from Worcestershire Royal Hospital have been transferred to Warwick Hospital for the continuation of their hospital care. This is a planned move which shows how NHS organisations are supporting each other over a busy winter period to ensure patient safety is put first. Demand on our hospitals continues to be exceptionally high and staff across our trust are working hard to provide the safest care they can for patients in the face of continuing pressures on beds. The spokesman said they understand that a transfer to another hospital can cause anxiety and inconvenience. However, they added, that the Trust's priority is to ensure patients receive safe, high-quality care in the safest, most appropriate environment. A spokesman added, additional capacity at Worcestershire Royal Hospital and the Alexandra Hospital in Redditch will be in place in the coming days and weeks. The first of this additional capacity is now in use at Worcester after the opening of a new 28-bed ward on the 16th of January. A plan to build 62 affordable homes on the edge of a floodplain has been submitted. The planning application for the homes at Old Northwick Farm has been made by social housing provider Stonewater, which acquired the land from Bloor Homes last year. Bloor Homes had a number of applications approved by Worcester City Council planners, including a plan for 52 homes on the same site in June last year. The site has been earmarked for use for 54 homes as part of the South Worcestershire Development Plan. Having worked with housing officers at Worcester City Council, the current planning permission would allow Stonewater to build open market homes, but it said its intention is to make all the homes affordable. The proposal includes six one-bedroom apartments, 23 two-bedroomed homes and five two-bedroom bungalows, 27 three-bedroomed homes and one four-bedroom home. Of the homes, almost half of which would be affordable rented properties, a quarter would be shared ownership and just over a quarter would be rent to buy. With the development around 400 metres from the River Severn, a flood risk assessment was carried out in December 2018, which concluded the homes would be at a low risk. The report said the homes were in a zone which would be at around 0.1% chance of flooding in any given year. 
No changes to off-site work, including work to floodplains, outlined in the original applications are expected to be made. A new road will be built to access the development after 221 Northwick Road was demolished to make way for an entrance. Stonewater said it has it had changed the layout of the plan, swapping larger detached homes with garages for smaller homes with open parking in private driveways. The social housing provider said that whilst the plan is to build 10 more homes than what was approved in previous applications, the area of building reduces by about 20%. Mystery surrounds loud bangs over an, in, over an industrial estate in Worcester. City Councillor Gareth Jones, who represents the St Stephen's Ward, said he had received calls from several residents complaining of loud bangs coming from the direction of the Blackpool, Blackpool Trading Estate between 8am and 9.30am. Councillor Jones said, I've had calls from people walking their dogs on Purdersville and apparently these bangs are scaring both dogs and dog walkers. I've heard them myself and they are really loud, louder than an average firework. I've seen it myself over the factories. It goes up with a bit of a flash and explodes. The only thing I can think of is that it could be a bird scarer used to get rid of seagulls in the roofs of some of the units on the estate. I normally see the gulls flying towards the trading estate from about 4pm, I think, because the place is on the estate serving food and the amount of litter that gets thrown down. They must be going up there and having a feast before they go to one of the units to roost. Councillor Jones believes the matter has come up in City Council licensing meetings before and the council has investigated it in the past. He confirmed he had raised the issue with Worcestershire Regulatory Services. The matter has been reported to Worcester City Council and an environmental officer is investigating. A spokesman for Worcester City Council said, We've received a complaint about loud banging sounds being heard near Blackpool Trading Estate. Environmental health officers will be talking to the complainant to establish how the disturbance is affecting them. Officers will investigate the source of the noise and take action if necessary. This is not the first time residents have raised the issue. In 2016, neighbours complained of their dogs being scared and hiding because of loud noise caused by a bird scarer. The possibility of birds being in one of the units seems unlikely, given the time of year, with most gulls moving to warmer territory and the source of the noise remains a mystery. Another possibility is that a car dealership in the area could be using a bird scarer to prevent birds fouling on cars. Hmm. Now, I just have four little news in brief um, stories. The first is about a toy thief. A warrant has been put out for the arrest of a man who is accused of stealing toys from a city shop, but who failed to appear in court. Graham Davis allegedly stole £39 worth of LOL dolls from the entertainer in the shambles and was due in court on Thursday, January 24th. The 37-year-old of Ribble Close was due to be defended before city magistrates by solicitor Paul Stanley. However, he did not attend the hearing and is now wanted by police. Uh, a 37-year-old man is charged with stealing eight beef roasting joints from Aldi. 
Glyn Taylor of Barbourne Road is set to appear before magistrates on February the 21st at 9.30pm. That can't be right. After the case was adjourned on January the 24th. A woman is accused of stealing money, jewellery and watches on different dates from the same property and attempting to fraudulently sell items. Bridget Johnson will appear at Worcester Crown Court on February 21st. The alleged thefts took place at a property in Laxton Avenue between September and October last year. The 52-year-old is also accused of dishonestly making a false representation in trying to sell property belonging to Rachel Buchan, intending to make a gain for herself or another. And finally, firefighters were called to a school in Worcester after a blaze in a toilet block. Crews went to Blessed Edward Oldcorn Catholic College in Timberdine at 3.35pm on Wednesday. Twelve firefighters and officers went to the scene in two engines and two support vehicles. The blaze was put out quickly and there were no reports of injuries. The blaze was believed to have been started deliberately and investigators will now look into the cause, said a spokesman for Hereford and Worcester Fire Service. Sorry, but I'm following on with some more crime. The building site at St Richard's Hospice, where a major rebuilding project is underway, was attacked by would-be thieves. According to police, someone tried to break into the site at Wildwood Way overnight between Wednesday and Thursday last week. An electricity box was smashed and an unsuccessful attempt was made to break into portable buildings. The cost of the damage is not yet known. The building site is part of the hospice's Build 2020 appeal, which will enable it to support more patients and families in Worcestershire. Among the facilities, the revamped hospice will have the, the sorry, say this again. Among the facilities the revamped hospice will have are a specialist exercise studio counselling rooms, an art studio, complementary therapy rooms, music and horticultural therapy spaces and a spacious social and eating area. The fundraising activities for the appeal included last year's Worcester Stands Tall campaign with its trail of painted giraffes placed around the city centre. These proved highly popular and were later sold off at auction raising £2,010,490 towards the cause. June Patel, Chief Executive of St Richard's Hospice, said, We were saddened to learn of this incident and are grateful to the police for their support. The building work taking place at the hospice is part of our £5.3 million build 2020 appeal to expand and redevelop our building, ultimately enabling us to care for more people living with serious, progressive illnesses and their loved ones. We have received incredible support from the community in helping fundraise for our project and would like to express our thanks for their generosity. Anyone with information about the incident is urged to call police on 101 quoting incident number 
154S-240119. A huge gallery space and a new link bridge will be built as part of the redevelopment of a historical city site after plans were backed by councillors. The work would be the final stage of work at the former Worcester Royal Porcelain Works site in Seventh Street and would see a modern bridge built between the old Victorian painting shop and a building deemed surplus to requirements by neighbouring housing developer Barclay Homes. The plan was backed unanimously by councillors at a meeting of Worcester City Council Planning Committee on Thursday, January the 24th. The Bransford Trust, which helps improve the lives of young people across the county through the creative arts, wants to open the buildings up for gallery space and arts and crafts workshops, as well as space for offices and an apartment. The Link Bridge, which would also form part of a large gallery, would connect the multi-storey brick building house and the old trade showrooms. The original bridge, which connected the old painting shop and the buildings to the east of the site, was demolished in 2007. As part of the plan, the top floor of the former painting shop would also be turned into a three-bed apartment with a roof garden. A lift would also be installed to allow for large art pieces and sculptures to be transported. Archaeological officers at the council said the whole area had been recorded and the new plans would not require further work. The latest development would be the third and final part of a three-stage plan granted permission in 2016, which has already seen the Henry Sandon Hall open and a number of neighbouring apartments built by Barclay Homes. The fascinating story of how the railways came to the Midlands will be told through a talk at the next Droitwich History and Archaeology Society meeting. The illustrated talk by Terry Daniels is called The Coming of the Railways to the Midlands and is expected to be popular. All are welcome to attend the talk which will start at 7.30 on Wednesday, February the 6th in the John Corbett Room at the Droitwich Community Hall, Heritage Way, Droitwich. The talk costs £2 for members and £4 for friends and visitors. <clears throat> A man who police believe is pretending to be homeless could be banned from begging if a criminal behaviour order is approved. Droitwich Police Sergeant Sarah Kent claims David Woodcock, who was recently fined in court for begging, is, quote, deceiving people into giving him money, end of quote. Speaking at a town council meeting on Monday, Sergeant Kent said homelessness has increased in Droitwich in recent months, but she said Woodcock does have a home. The beggar, Woodcock, who kept coming into out into Droitwich was implying that he was homeless by carrying a sleeping bag with him, she said. I know personally he's not homeless and so therefore he was also deceiving people into giving him money which was not necessarily going to be used for the right things for him. 
Woodcock, 35, admitted begging and two charges of theft from shops, as well as breaching a community protection notice when appearing in Kidderminster Magistrates Court on December the 20th last year. Sergeant Kent told the Worcester News Woodcock is currently away from Drawtwich and the CBO hearing will take place on March the 1st. The conditions we are applying for mostly relate to his begging activities in Droitwich and preventing this continuing, she said. The sergeant went on to say that while begging is an offence, many members of the public want to help those who appear in need. It's important this is done in a way that will help that person in the longer term. She suggested taking money or other donations to the Droitwich Food Bank. Speaking at Monday's meeting, she said, A few years ago, homelessness probably wasn't much of an issue in Droitwich, but it has increased slightly in the last few months and probably reflects the national picture around homelessness. A former investment banker has started a new career as a midwife at the age of 61. Claire Slater recently started her childhood dream job in the neonatal intensive care unit at Worcestershire Royal Hospital after completing her midwife training at the University of Worcester last summer. Mrs Slater said, I had always wanted to be a midwife ever since I was 10 years old. I'd always dreamed of doing it as a career, but life had got in the way. Working in hospitals is not entirely new to Mrs Slater. She began her working life as an auxiliary nurse in a surgical ward and A&E at the Alexandra Hospital in Redditch, before becoming a radiography technician at the same hospital and then leaving to have children. As her children grew older, she worked as a primary school teacher for several years before being headhunted to work in the banking sector. She was approached to join an investment banking company and, after taking her exams, joined Barclays Wealth in Canary Wharf. She then had some time at Lloyd's before moving to Standard Life as a regional director through the 1990s and into the early 2000s. After a period of illness, Mrs Slater re-evaluated her life and career options and decided it was time to do what she always dreamed of doing. I wanted to train for a while, but we couldn't afford to give up my earnings to go through training, said Mrs Slater from Redditch. It was a busy time for us with our children, all needing to be supported through university and getting married. It was after our fourth child's wedding that my husband said to me, right, what is it you would most love to do? And that's when I said, well, I've always wanted to be a midwife. She was accepted onto a midwifery course at the University of Worcester, which involved training placements at Worcestershire Royal Hospital, and it was on one of these placements where she decided exactly what she wanted to end up. She added, some people have been surprised to see me join, especially being newly trained at my age. People have said to me, why are you doing this? Why don't you just retire? But I'd like to work for as long as I am able to. I really love it here. 
I'm not just in this for the short term. I actually want to do some more training. Dog owners have been warned after a mysterious set of lungs were left on a city footpath, raising fears that they were potentially poisoned bait laid for foxes. The fully intact organs were found in Warden, Warden on Wednesday, January the 23rd, and posted to Facebook page Warden Villages Community Group. Members speculated what sort of animal they might be from, with many referring to how fresh they looked and how clean they had been cut. Lynn Leith claimed they, they, they were likely from a muntjac deer and that it appeared somebody had killed the animal before field dressing it and surgically removing the lungs. Warnden Parish Councillor Andrew Cross warned that the organs on the footpath between Bolton Avenue and Hever Avenue may have been poisoned and should be reported to police. Explaining that it was the start of lambing season, he believed they could have been placed there to kill foxes. He said there's not enough blood and offal visible in the photo to indicate field slaughter. Rather, it was more than likely they were placed there. Councillor Cross went on to say, EU regulations make it, make it an offence for a person to use any type of meat, fish, egg or other animal substance as bait to poison or stupefy birds or animals such as otters and pine martins unless licensed to do so. This means that although pine martins can cause extensive loss to farmers, poisoning is not an option. The lungs had reportedly gone the following day. It is unclear if the incident was reported to the police. And with that rather strange but salutary tale, we come to the end of this week's recording. It remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to thank Duncan Wynne, Judith Doherty, Ian Rowe and Sally Rowe for coming this evening on this potentially cold and snowy night. Nothing, no snow yet. Um, but we hope you're keeping warm and we'll see you all again in a month's time. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.